Do you know how hard it is to pick out white paint? We're trying to repaint our kitchen. Lindsay said that she wanted the walls white. So we go to the store. We go to the section where all the paint is. You think it would be easy. White is white. That's what we learn in our Crayola box. There's only one white crayon in there. But you go up to the wall and there's 30 different whites. You pick out one and if you're looking at it all by itself, it looks white. Until you hold it up next to another one and then you realize, hmm, that one wasn't as white as I thought it was. It may look a little blue. It may look a little, some of them look a little pinkish. Some of them may look a little brown or yellowish. But they're still labeled and called white. How in the world do we determine which is white? Well, you have to go and find the can that just says base white. There's no additives in it. It is purely white. And when you have the standard of that white and you hold it up to all the other ones, you realize, whoa, everything else that's labeled white and considers itself white and calls itself white isn't actually really that white. Maybe compared to red, it's white. But when I hold it up to what is actually the standard for whiteness, I realize all of these other chips aren't exactly white. As we've been going through the beginning chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has told us, the writer of this letter, that God's standard, the base white chip for evaluating whether one is truly clean before him, whether one is righteous or right before him is the standard of his law, the standard of his character. If you're trying to compare yourself to other people or looking at yourself for that standard, you're going to be confused. You're going to be led astray. Because when we hold ourselves up next to the chip of God's righteous character, we realize None of us are indeed righteous. None of us are base white. There is only one who is good. Paul has been laying out. Paul was appointed by the resurrected Jesus to be his authorized spokesperson. As Paul speaks in the scriptures, he's speaking for Jesus. And he's been telling us Although he started off this letter writing to the church in Rome, telling them that he's wanting to tell them about the good news of Jesus, he mentioned that, the gospel, the good news, in just a couple of verses earlier in the book. But for verse after verse after verse and week after week as we've been looking at it, Paul's just been focused on the bad news of how bad our situation is, how deep into sin we are, how none of us are righteous. It is getting overwhelming. We're overwhelmed and burdened by the depth and the extent of sin in our own lives and in the world around us. And maybe we're beginning to long 
and wonder, is there any news that is good enough to deal with the badness of the news that Paul has been laying out for us up to this point? Especially when we hear that the standard is God's law and all of us will be judged and evaluated according to that. Oh, and by the way, none of you will be able to measure up to the standard. What hope is there? It's as if Paul wants us to see how bad the news is. And it's only then that we can really, truly grasp and understand that the good news of the gospel is the goodest news. The best news. Gooder than good. Whiter than white. So, as I've destroyed every law of grammar to make a point, let's turn and see how good the good news is. We're looking in chapter 3 of the book of Romans. Verses 21 through 31, or through, yeah, through 31 this morning. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 941. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Well, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You've revealed Yourself to us, not only in Your creation, but especially here in the Scriptures. We need You. One, to see our sin. Two, to, to in the overwhelming burden and experiencing the depth of it, to look to Jesus. We pray this morning that as we Look in this chapter of Romans that you would show us Christ and His power and His beauty and His sufficiency that we would hope only in Him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul's used almost three chapters 
to paint the bad news for us. If the standard is God's righteous law, His character, and if what Paul has said is true, that no one is righteous, no, not one, no one does good, if that what Paul says is that there's no way that anybody can do works of the law and be justified or declared right before God, and if in our efforts to try to obey God's law, hoping to show God that we are righteous and be accepted by Him, if all that is going to do, Paul told us at the end of uh, last week, that all that will happen is that we'll see our sin more and more, that brings up a question. How in the world, then, will we be made right with God? How can we be accepted by God? We need righteousness, but we don't have it. The only one who is righteous is God. How is it available to us? How can we find righteousness if we can't earn it? We can't keep the law. Is there any hope for us? It seems like the only way that we will be accepted by God is if we have His righteousness, His perfection, the fullness of His credit, His record applied to us. Is that even possible? Is there hope for us? Well, notice. Notice what Paul says. Now, now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been shown. It's been demonstrated. And listen to this. It's apart from the law. Apart from works of the law. That means there is hope. This, this gospel, this good news that Paul was telling us about, that is revealing and demonstrating the righteousness of God, is now being shown and demonstrated clearly to God's people. And notice, notice what he says. This isn't new news. This isn't a new way to be saved. Notice what he says. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law or works of the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Sometimes people think that in the Old Testament, there was one way to be saved. You keep God's law and He'll accept you. But then when Jesus came about, the rules changed. And there was a new way to be saved. You didn't have to earn your way before to be made right with God and be accepted by Him anymore. You were accepted by grace. But notice what Paul's saying. There has always and only been one way to be saved. And if you're reading the Old Testament, which is, that's the summary, the Law and the Prophets, rightly, then the conclusion that you will come to is that the whole Old Testament as well was pointing to this fact that righteousness comes not from keeping the works of the law. It comes by another way. Well, what is that way, Paul? Well, notice what he says. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith. Through faith. Righteousness. This, this declaration of God that we are in right standing with Him and in His law doesn't come through performing and doing the law yourself, but it comes through faith. 
all the Old Testament has been pointing to that. But notice what he, what he says. It's not faith in general. It's not just some sort of generic faith. I have hope or belief or faith that there is a God. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. Or I believe that Jesus existed. That's not what he's talking about. Or I believe that there's a higher power and I believe in something greater than myself. No. Notice what he says. It's, it's not that you, you have faith as if faith saves you. The object of that faith is what is important. You're trusting and placing your faith in a Savior. And notice who that Savior is. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. As we place our faith and we look to Jesus, Paul is saying that the righteousness, the record of God, His perfection can be counted and credited to you. Some of us might be thinking though, well, Paul, I've been listening to you explain how bad we all are. And I'm coming to the conclusion that you're right. And the more that I look at my sin and I hear this, that you're telling me that this news is good, that righteousness can be found, that I can be accepted by God through faith, not through what I've done, that can't be true for me, though. You don't realize how, how bad I am. You don't realize the things I've done. What I've said to God. How I've rejected Him. What I've done with my body. How I've treated others. What I've thought. Paul, if you knew the thoughts that go through my mind... There's no way that this could be good news for me. Maybe good news for other people. But notice what he says. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Do you hear that this morning? This good news is good news for everyone who believes. You look to Jesus Christ in faith, and you can be forgiven and accepted by God. This, this is the best, the best news. Because notice what he says. There's no, there's no distinction. Some of us may think, remember, in the past, Paul was criticizing us for trying to think that we were better than other people. By looking at how we compare to them. But here, this is good news because sometimes we can fall into the other trap of comparing ourselves to other people and thinking others are so much better than we are and that the good news doesn't apply to us. But hear what Paul is saying. There is no distinction. The good news is for all who believe because notice what he says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what he's been telling us, but we need to hear that and recognize it again. When I was in elementary school, uh, when we would go out for recess, one of the favorite games for some of us to play was a game called Jump the Brook. I don't know if you've ever played this. I don't even know if it's in existence anymore. 
brought out two jump ropes, you laid them down. First, you started out with the jump ropes. They were laying on the ground, and they were only about this far apart, maybe an inch or so. And everybody would line up, and you'd have to jump over the brook. And you would go around and get back in line. Then after everybody goes over, you make it a little bit wider, and you jump it, and a little bit wider, and you jump it, and a little bit wider. And each time you widened it, people start falling short. They start falling short of making it across the goal to get to the other side of the brook. Some people did it on purpose. There were several girls and some guys in our, our class who they just didn't like to do it. And so they would step on the line intentionally. That blew my mind. I couldn't understand how could you give up and not want to win this. But what would happen is that it would go on and eventually people would get out and people would get out and people would get out. They would fall short, fall short, fall short until there were only two people left. And then you had to see who could make it over as it moved forward and farther and farther and farther away. And in the end, only one person made it across. They were the winner. They could look at everybody else and say, I've done better than you. But that isn't what Paul is telling us, is it? He says, everyone has fallen short. You've all lost the game of jump the brook. The eternal game. A better picture of it is if we all, instead of going to the Terry Berries today, we piled in a big bus and we went out to the Outer Banks. And we said, let's see who can jump the farthest. The goal isn't the other side of the brook. The goal is the other side of the Atlantic. Let's see if we can jump to Africa. And we all line up. And we start jumping. Now, I have my bets on who would get the farthest. Ben Cornea. <laughs> but guess what? In comparison to us, he would get farthest. We would all fall short. But how far away is Africa still? Zoom up on your Google Zoom. We've all fallen short. Look around. You're all waist deep, still in water, in your sin. Africa is nothing compared to the distance that lies between us and the righteousness of our God. And Paul says we have all fallen short. None of us make it. That is why we need another. We need another to jump for us. We need another who will take us across that gap. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. There's no way we can make it in our own strength, in our own ability. We must look and hope and trust in God and listen to what Paul says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justification. Sometimes that word, people use it and they, they try to define it by saying what this means is God is declaring and saying that what is true of you is that you are just as if I'd never sinned. But that doesn't go far enough. Not only does it mean that what God is saying is it's just as if you'd never sinned, it also means just as if you had always at all times, and in every way, kept every aspect of my law positively. 
This is what Paul is saying is true of those who look in faith and trust in Jesus. You've all fallen short, but the good news of the gospel is there is one who hasn't. Jesus the righteous. He won every game of Jump the Brookie ever played. Because only one can bridge the gap between sinful humanity and the righteousness of God. And it is God Himself who took on flesh. And what Paul is saying, the goodness of this good news is that what is available to us, not through anything we've done, nothing we've done, we are justified, we are declared right before God by His grace as a gift. How good is this news? That our God would come to us who've rejected Him, who've suppressed the truth about Him, who've cast off His law and wanted to set our place, ourselves in place on His throne, assuming the, the posture of Creator and King, and He comes to sinners like this and says, although you've rejected Me, although you deserve My righteous judgment and My wrath, I'm revealing My grace I'm revealing my mercy. I'm revealing that my righteousness is available for you. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. I'm going to give it to you as a gift. Look to Christ in faith and it can be yours. This, this is the best news. This is the best news that sinners like you and me, the worst sinners, who have fallen short, who can't leap to Africa, God says, I am declaring you as one who someone jumped for you. And you're there. Hold on. This doesn't, this doesn't quite make sense, Paul. You've told us that God is righteous. You've told us that He is just. How can God look at those who you've told us no one's righteous, no one's good, we've all rejected God, in fact, none of us want to seek Him, how in the world can God still be just and freely and graciously look on sinners, a sinner like me, and say, I'm letting you off. I am going to declare that you have kept the law. How does this not violate God's justice? This week in the news, there's been a, a, a recurring story that's come up about a woman who, uh, in a, a desire to have a relationship with, uh, with uh, a man who uh, was married to another woman, she got uh, in a relationship with him and they came up with a plan to kill the wife and to kill the, uh, the one woman who was pursuing this man, her children from her former marriage, so that they could have a life together by themselves. Come to find out that uh, this was her fifth husband, and there had been strange happenings in previous relationships as well with people connected to them. It's coming out more and more that it appears she's a serial murderer. And no one stands in her way time came, she was convicted for killing her children and this woman. What would have happened? 
when she came up before the judge. And her, her lawyer did say this. She's misunderstood. She's actually a good-hearted woman, and she never intended any harm. What if the judge had said, you know what? I'm feeling gracious today. And I know she doesn't deserve this, but I'm going to go ahead and out of the kindness of my heart, I'm going to let her off. And we're not going to uh, punish her for her violation of the law. What would we think of that judge? That is a judge who has completely ignored the standard of the law. He, in fact, is breaking the law himself by letting this one go who has failed to meet the standard of the law, who has violated it, and who, according to the law, deserves this penalty, deserves this punishment. Is that what God is doing? Notice what Paul says. That isn't what God is doing. Look at what he says. We are justified by His grace as a gift. How does that come about? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. That is language of purchase. Purchase of, of redeeming someone who is in extreme debt or purchasing the freedom of a slave who owed money to a master. Here, a payment is being made. What Paul is telling us is that when Jesus died, if we, if we think about the, the penalty, instead of being one of, of prison or death, but of, of financial restitution that needed to happen, Paul is saying, look, Jesus paid the penalty. Your sin deserved something that was owed. And Jesus, through His redemption, He is paying the purchase price. The cost isn't being overlooked. The penalty isn't being overlooked. It is being paid. And it was paid by Jesus. See, God's justice isn't being overlooked because the penalty that was required was paid for in full by another. How did this happen? Notice how he goes on. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. That is a fancy word, but it is extremely, extremely important. It's drawing on the Old Testament understanding of when uh, the people of God would come and they would have the sacrifice of these bulls and goats and, and blood would be sprinkled on the, the mercy seat, on the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant. The picture is one of satisfaction of God's wrath. Remember, what do we deserve for our sin? eternal wrath and judgment of God. He's just to pour that out on us. But what Paul is telling us here is that the good news of the gospel is is that we can be justified by God's grace as a gift because God put forth Jesus as the one who by His blood would completely satisfy the just wrath of God. Jesus is dying in our place. Who is this God? Sometimes we have this perception of God that He's wrathful and mean and angry, but the loving and good and gracious one is Jesus. And according to what Jesus did, He had to do this in order for God to show us grace and mercy. But that's to confuse things. Do you not see what Paul says here? Who is the one who put Jesus forward? By grace. Notice. 
whom God put forward. See, it was out of His love that God sent Jesus. The love of God is shown to us that while we are sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God is shown to us that He would not even withhold His only Son to redeem and save you. What you and I deserve is eternal suffering and separation from God. But God in His mercy and in His grace took on flesh. He entered into our world. He lived the perfect life. He died the death we deserve. And God is saying, I am counting the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus on your behalf, on your account. And what does that do for God? What does it do for us? Well, it tells us that this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Remember, Paul has told us that the whole Old Testament has been pointing forward to the need for Jesus to come. Remember what the Old Testament sacrifices did. You bring a bull, you bring a goat, you bring a dove, they die, God forgives your sin. How does that work? It's a bull. It's a goat. It's a human's life that should be shed. How does that deliver? Well, it doesn't. God says through Paul here that sending Jesus was showing us God's righteousness and His justice. Because each time those sacrifices happened in the Old Testament, God was writing a check. A check that was to be cashed when Jesus died on the cross. You know what happens if you write a check and you don't have the money in the account to pay for it? It bounces. You're going to get in trouble. And the one who you wrote the check to is also going to be upset because they're going to get fined by their bank as well. That whole fine thing doesn't come up in the Scriptures, but the point is there. That if the, if the credit isn't there for the check you're writing, then it's a lie. But what the Scriptures are telling us is that all the Old Testament is looking forward to the payment that Jesus would make. And the whole time through the Old Testament, as God was forgiving sins, as God was counting His people righteous, who came to Him by faith, looking to the blood of bulls and goats who were pointing forward to Jesus, God was saying, your sins are forgiven. Not because of this goat, but because of the perfect Lamb who would die later. And therefore, God tells us that now, for us, in verse 20. Six, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's justice is maintained because the, the penalty is paid. The redemption price is put forward. The wrath and penalty has been satisfied. Through what we've done, no. Through the, the death of Christ. And notice how it is received. It is received by faith. God's justice is not violated. In fact, He's demonstrating and showing to us how important and how necessary it was for Jesus to come. And there would be no way for humanity to be saved unless God did what He did in taking on flesh and dying in our place. The death of Christ demonstrates the justice, the grace, and the mercy of our God. 
We can be accepted and made right in God's sight because of what Jesus has done. His death for us, His life for us. Because as we look to Him, God now says, all that you owed, that debt, I've paid it. But I haven't just moved you to zero. Your account now is infinitely in the positive because of the righteousness of Christ on your behalf. Who, who is this God? Paul asks a question in light of this. What then becomes of boasting? If this is the good news, what, what about boasting? Notice that's what he says in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? Notice what he says. It's excluded. If this is the good news, then there is nothing that humans can boast about. Notice how he says, is this by a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. Here, Paul is using that word law in a different way. It's being used more as like rule or, or, or principle. It's not through the principle of doing works and performing before God. Because if it's, if it's based on a principle of works, then we have something to boast about. I can look at what I've done. Look at how far I've jumped. Look at how white my chip is. Look at how far short you've fallen. I'm farther. A principle of works looks inward. It looks at me, and I have something to boast about, but not the principle of faith. Not the good news of the gospel that Paul's proclaiming. That faith looks elsewhere. It looks outside of us. It looks to another. We've already said who that is. It's Jesus. Notice the emphasis that Paul gives us that we are to look outside of ourselves to Jesus. Back up in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Down in verse 24. All are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He is the one that God put forward as, this, as the propitiation. As He continues to go on in verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's Jesus. 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 Works are completely Excluded, Paul says in verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We cannot boast in ourselves at all. We look at salvation. We look at redemption. And we have to say, there is absolutely nothing I have done. There is nothing that I could do. It is only and always through Christ. And I receive those benefits by God's grace through faith. Notice the implication of this. If there's any other message of good news, of gospel that you're hearing, of a way to be made right with God, that in any way points you to consider and evaluate and rest on anything you've done, it is a false gospel. Anything that causes you and points you to yourself and any actions you've done, whether it's works of righteousness, whether it's confusing and saying it's your choice or the work of faith, nothing has come from you because there is no boasting. This news is so good 
Because I was so bad that the only one who can redeem and save me is Jesus. So when the time comes that I realize that I've been saved, I cannot boast in anything except for Christ. And that's the response. That is what we should do. Is the goodness of this news should call us to humble ourselves before our God. It should call us to, to praise and honor and celebrate Jesus. It should move us to a place of humility. Christians should be the most humble people in the world. Because we realize, I am nothing. And Jesus is everything. We must look away in our own lives and in our own hearts. Where are you right now looking and finding your significance? What are you valuing? And where are you looking in your, to yourself and saying, this is where I matter, this is where I count? Where are you discouraged? Because you're comparing yourself to someone else and you're saying, I don't matter as much as they do because they've done this for their wife, for their husband, for their children, for God. No, Paul says. No, the Gospel says. Your value is found in Christ. There is no boasting. Look to Jesus. Boast and rest and settle in Him. Well, if there's nothing I can do, if, if there's no point in me trying to, to follow and obey the law in order to be made right with God, then does God's law matter at all? Paul, are you saying that, that it's, it's not important? Well, no, Paul says. Look in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, Paul says. On the contrary, we uphold the law. It would be confusing to think that if this is really true, that we can't earn our way to God through keeping the law, and we're saved completely and totally by God's grace as a gift, and there's nothing we can do to earn it, and Jesus has secured it all for us, then it doesn't matter whether we keep the law or not. The law is not that important. Paul says, no, by no means, not whatsoever. How do we know the law matters? Well, first off, think about what's the standard by which we're going to be judged? It's the law. Why did God send Christ into the world? To die because we've broken the law. And to live perfectly because we've failed to keep the law in its fullness. The law definitely matters to God because we see what extent He went to to make sure the standard by which we are judged is kept. But also, notice, even though Paul tells us that it's apart from the law that the righteousness of God has been revealed, and that we're going to be justified apart from works of the law. Do we remember why we've been saved? Why we've been redeemed? Why we've been set free? It's to obey our God. Remember, freedom, true freedom is found in being who you are. You're not a fish who will thrive outside of water. Go to the pet store in Elizabeth City. 
Ask to see one of those fish. Take it out and say, I'm setting you free, fish. Get out of that water. What's going to happen? It's going to die. A fish fish is only free in the water. And God is saying, you, in your humanity, you're only free when you're living your life in conformity to me. That's who I've made you. That glory that we fall short of, remember, we've been created in the image of God. We're to reflect and demonstrate and show Him, and we're only doing that when we're obeying God's law. And now, we've been freed up from thinking we got to do it to perform, to earn God's favor. This is the message we're hearing. I've redeemed you. I've kept the law for you. Now, you're freed up to do it in joy, in gratitude, in thankfulness. The burden has been lifted off. I am freeing you up to be completely who you are with a motive and a heart and a desire that flows from love. This is better than any message of works of any message that I perform and have to do something to merit God's favor. Do you hear how good this news is? This news, this good news is even better than how bad the bad news was. We serve a good and a gracious God. Do you know this God? Do you know this Jesus? Is your faith in Him? Or are you still resting? And are you deceived into thinking you can make it across the Atlantic Ocean to Africa? Hear what Paul is saying. Your only hope is in Christ. Stop jumping and call out to Him. If you've placed your faith and trust in Christ already, would you know the joy that comes from being one who has been saved by Christ, redeemed by Him, declared righteous in Him, and boast. Boast in Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. Live a life of gratitude and honor and thanksgiving to the One who gave Himself to satisfy God's wrath for you as a gift because of the Father's love for you. This is the good news of the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this. This is true. It's too good many times we think for this to be true of us. But we thank you that as we read it in the Scriptures, as you've revealed yourself to us, your people, that we can know that this is your good news message to your people. And you revealed yourself to us in Christ. May our hope, may our confidence be in Jesus. May we trust and rest in nothing. Nothing but Him. Nothing but His blood. Nothing but His life for us. In His name we pray. Amen.